Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Mastermind.fm. Today, we have an interview with Jason Cohen from WP Engine. Of course, you're joined as usual by myself, Jean Galea, and James Laws. And I guess, James, this has fair to say that we are starting 2017 with a bang. You know, I've, I've got several pages of notes here, and I'm certainly going to go back myself and listen more than once to this episode because there's genuinely so much stuff to unpack um uh, really we had very little to say i mean jason was really giving some awesome advice like one after the other so i think i really enjoyed the episode and i highly recommend that people just keep some papers next to them because you're gonna have to take notes for this one (laughs) yeah absolutely that's been my experience with jason uh every time i've talked to him so the first time i met him was two years ago in cabo press and then of course he was there again this year and every time i've been in his in one of his sessions we just it's it seems like you're just drinking from a fire hose of information yep. <laughs> like he just share freely shares his experience and his insight and and sometimes it's opinionated and sometimes it's just you know hey you might want to consider but with with very little opinion but either way it's just such great information and you kind of just get the ball rolling you just give it a nudge and then he just takes it and and runs the whole field with it it's just it's really just interesting to, to listen to him talk so definitely a, an awesome episode and i agree right like get your pen and paper uh don't be afraid to pause it take some notes and then start it back up again i think jason has one of these rare skills where he's just talking calmly about things but he's the passion really comes through as well as his willingness to help and impart his knowledge with the audience whoever it may be whereas where it's one person or a whole um, audience of this podcast for example and that's something that i really appreciated in this uh, episode yeah you can definitely tell when he's talking like this is knowledge lived this is you know definitely core experiences this is internalized message this is something that he's living out uh throughout his own businesses so it's not just uh hey i've read a book and i'm regurgitating the things that i've read but it's i mean some of it certainly is stuff that he has read and and stuff that he has been learned from mentors of his own but he has definitely internalized it and what he is sharing is is his own lived version of it and i think that's important right because it's it's one thing to kind of get canned information from somebody who hasn't lived the experience but just getting it from him and and hearing that story is just definitely super encouraging all right, James, this has been one of the, a longer interview, let's say, but it really has been worth recording a bit longer than usual. And I think people should really listen to the very end as it kind of keeps getting better and better towards the end in my experience. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree. Definitely listen through it. It's it's worth it. Even if you have to come back to it, pause it, come back to yeah. it a day later because you, your podcasting time has wrapped up. Just yeah, I think you should just take it through to the end. All right. So just a little break for our sponsor and we'll dive right into the interview with Jason. Ninja Forms. Minimalist presentation, unparalleled modular design, and limitless extendability. A mighty form builder that seeks to ensure your needs are met. Together with effortless WordPress integrations, an arsenal of supported extensions, and instant updates, you'll be hard-pressed in finding a more rewarding way to accomplish your form-building goals. Rest easy knowing unmatched documentation and an eager team of support ninjas await. Providing you the best tools, service, and resources, NinjaForms vows to be the plugin that has your back. Swords optional. Get started now at NinjaForms.com. NinjaForms. We make forms look easy. Welcome to the show, Jason. Thank you. 
And so, uh, and many people obviously know you in the WordPress community due to your involvement and you actually founded or co-founded WP Engine, which is one of the biggest players in the WordPress space. So today's episode, we're going to try to dig a bit deeper and see some motivations between about how you started the company and your, your journey so far and where you plan to go in the future. But for those of you who don't know who you are, just give us some background about who you did in a, on a personal level, what you did and also your work with WP Engine. Okay, great. Well, I've been running startups for 20 years. WP Engine is my fourth startup. Um, I started with a consulting company. I did a hardware company called IT Watchdogs, which was sold in the early 2000s, in which I was a co-founder and we bootstrapped it, which is a difficult thing to do with hardware. Um, That company did server room climate monitoring. So we check the temperature, humidity, light level, power, and so on inside data centers. And we'd give you a little uh, page, because back then there were pagers, um, if something was wrong. Or we would we actually had a little embedded web server before that was easy. Um, then I did a company called Smart Bear, which is what I'm most known for online. <clears throat> and Smart Bear uh, was also bootstrapped and grew that also to multiple millions in revenue and sold it in 2000 seven and left in 2009. Um, so that was about a total of a seven year journey for that. It's at SmartBear we did, uh, well we actually invented the modern way to do peer code reviews. So code reviews, most people do them nowadays, uh, especially now that GitHub uh, kind of suggests and, and makes it easy to do that. Um, but this was all before GitHub even existed and, uh, and people generally didn't do code reviews. So we invented how to do that, wrote a book about the subject, um, had a tool that would integrate with version control and so forth to facilitate it. And so that was very popular and many of the largest uh, tech companies on earth, many of them use our software even today. Um, so then uh, then WP Engine, which I guess we'll, we'll focus on since that's probably what people are most interested in yep. for this audience. But uh, so WP Engine started in 2010. We can tell the story of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, now we're about 430 people globally. We have about five offices uh, with physical presence, and um, obviously we're uh, we have grown very quickly and continue to do so. And um, it's a privilege to be in this position in this amazing community of the WordPress community, and also um, in the last few years, especially um, expand, helping to expand the WordPress community into the enterprise space where a lot of folks in the WordPress community, not all, but a lot would like to play, um, and like to, uh, to do business in. And since we're sort of on the, on the vanguard of doing that ourselves, um, we can, we can bring in the rest of the community with us. And so, and that's been exciting as well. Awesome. And so I think it's clear to our listeners and to us that you're kind of the startup guy, right? Um, Usually we have people who have bootstrapped their way through, kept small businesses in the WordPress space, but you've been doing big things. This is your fourth big startup. And so I'd like to know, I'm curious about your motivations when you start a new company. Is it always the effect that you want to think big and think of it as a startup that's going to scale on a global level? Or is it just that it happened so by chance? Yeah, I don't think of it that way. Um, in fact, again, WP Engine is the only startup where that is how we're thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, the other the other companies I've done have not been with that mentality and have not raised money. So um, certainly I've done both now, and it's it was not, not the intent before to be some big global something or other. I think, um, I think if you read the press from Silicon Valley, they are, um, they are really down on any company that 
doesn't want to become a billion dollar company, and that's ridiculous. And then you have some of the proponents of the bootstrapped environment like DHH and Jason Fried over at 37 Signals, but they're they seem almost angry, um, and, and, and maybe they have to be uh, in order to counterbalance the the amount of stuff um, kind of in their face. But um, it's it's good, but on the other hand, it, it, it feels almost like too much um, anger about it as opposed mm-hmm. to just sort of embracing the different ways that people want to live. I mean, so the way I think about it is the purpose of entrepreneurship is for someone to be able to build a, a life that they want, and perhaps for others if, if you want to have other people involved. And that obviously means so many different things to different folks, and it's as simple as that. You know, it's easy to say, uh, oh, the most uh, successful person in the world is Bill Gates because he has a lot of money, but what if what if Bill Gates didn't want to run a 100,000-person a company? What if that wasn't actually what he wanted to do? Then, then was he successful? So I think it's important that we realize that people want to do different things, and that's a good thing, <laughs> and that's that's actually the whole kind of the whole point. I think of starting a company because otherwise, I mean, there's so much pain and anguish, and it's like unlikely to succeed anyway. Um, and so, why do all of that if it doesn't have that sort of goal in mind? And so, can we say that you're sort of in between this super pro startup and against the startup mentality, somewhere in between, trying to balance both ends of the story? No, no, I don't think balance is a good idea at all. I think you have to decide what you want and then optimize for that. I don't think trying to balance multiple different goals is wise. Um, you'll just have, it, 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 again, these, this is too difficult and, uh, and unlikely to succeed as it is. So you need things like focus and to understand what it is you want to do and optimize for that thing and not, not be balancing different things. No, instead, what I, mean, I guess it, when it comes to advice, because I do that a lot too, I guess one thing I left out is I helped start Capital Factory in 2009, which is sort of the Austin version of Y Combinator. And uh, so in, in that sense, I've been an investor in dozens of startups and advisor to many startups. To me, the best form of advice is to help someone else think for themselves, help someone else be better at making decisions for themselves. Sometimes uh, good advice can come in the form of just thinking of more options than someone was thinking of in the first place, not to say which one's best, but maybe they weren't considering all the possibilities or thinking through some of those options in more detail so that so that again the person can make a better decision so i think it's really important for entrepreneurs to make their own choices and not follow what people say so to me a great way to have advice is either tell stories and lessons that i've learned so that someone can either decide that it is or is not applicable to them uh, or just work on the the sort of meta question of how how do i make decisions how do i decide what's important how do i decide what to focus on how do i optimize for whatever the goals i have are and so on very interesting yeah i Jason, I just want to say, you know, I, I appreciate a lot of a lot of what you're saying. We've actually talked about this a little bit on, on this show where we talk about this idea of setting a goal, figuring out what it is you want to be, what kind of an entrepreneur you want to be, because there is no such thing as one type of entrepreneur. Right. right? A lot of times uh, I get I get asked like, oh, so you're not really an entrepreneur. You just want to build a business. And I'm like, no, I'm building a business and I'm starting things all the time. Like I'm 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 not either or I am both and and I'm, I'm doing those and those are not exclusive things and so I think there is this idea of figuring out what you want to be figuring out what your goal is and not being you know not not being swayed by the noise of you know getting funding is the only way to do it or getting you know bootstrapping it is the only way to do it it's there may be only the way you should do it the way you're wired to do it 
Um, and and in, in your case, you've you've actually done both now, so you actually have that experience of doing both. Whereas I don't see myself as a get funding kind of person. I I enjoy the bootstrap experience. I like the, you know the 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 dirty and <laughs> get my you know I mean get my hands dirty, get in it and and make it work slow but sure and build it up. But there is no right or wrong way, and so I, I appreciate that idea of just getting your goals, setting your goals, figuring out what you are, and, how, and I like I especially like the idea of coaching people to. Uh, you know, figuring out what they want and how to make good choices, how to see bigger options, broaden their horizons. Yeah, now the problem is it's very difficult to know what you want and sometimes you don't know until you're there. So for example, there are folks <laughs> who say, I never want to hire an employee, but then they go for five or 10 years and realize it's very lonely and it would be actually kind of nice. Um, there's other people that say, oh, I want to I want to build something bigger. They do and then they realize actually they, they hate being the CEO of even a 30-person company, never mind a 300-person company. Those are all very different kinds of roles. And uh, p- again, people may not understand what those are. Um, and so then they get into these positions where they've actually built a company that they that they don't want to be at, which is very sad but common. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, because and, and, and I don't think you can look back and say, well, that's because they were not introspective enough. Maybe they maybe they weren't. And certainly you should try. But maybe you can't know until you're there. It's sort of like having kids. You can try to explain to someone what that's like, but ultimately you can't really know till you have kids. And then if you decide you didn't yeah. want kids after all, it's too bad. Fortunately, companies are not like kids and that it is okay to leave or sell or do something. Um, we're just not okay with kids. That's not what the United States government <laughs> says. Corporations are people. Right, right. Jason, I've heard that. <laughs> um, so, uh, so that's the good news is you can do something about it. But it's unfortunate because, again, it, it uh, you know you sort of think, well, why did I do this at all if I built something I didn't want to if I didn't end up wanting to be at. So again, then there's interesting questions like, well, well, what are our options to unwind that or get out of it or get out of it partially or do other things where the thing might continue um, and, uh, and and other people who are there might continue to enjoy it, uh, but you can be free. So it it's a constant journey and that's okay. Um, I have two follow-up questions about what we've been discussing. Number one would be, since you've started uh, several businesses, not necessarily 100% related to each other, what was the thought process behind each one? How do you choose which problem to tackle? Obviously, you've said that once you chose a problem, you want to go fully focused and go big on it. But how do you actually choose the problem? And perhaps we can use WP Engine as a case study on that. And on a second level, um, James and I also have had many discussions about you know the our own goals with our businesses and perhaps maybe I want to keep it small James wants to focus more on his team so there are obviously different um, targets within each of us as an entrepreneur but I think one one aspect which is very important when scaling up is not to do it alone obviously you can't scale to 400 people just doing it alone so how important was partnering up both for founding the company and going forward for you Okay, well, I can answer the second one quickly. Um, and the first one's really good. How do you pick the right idea? That's that's always a good question. So the second one, how important is partnership? So um, there's an interesting statistic, which is the number one cause of startups failing when they're very young, and this comes out of things like incubators, where they have really strong founders, really, uh, you know, they're bright, they're talented, and so forth. The number one reason why they fail is uh, because the founders fight and the company ends up crumbling. But what else is interesting is another stat is that most of the successful tech companies have multiple founders. So what that tells you is having, for example, because uh, you said partnerships, and that, that's an obvious one, having a co-founder is a high beta 
um, activity, as they say in finance, meaning it's high variability. It's it's the strength to potentially succeed and again execute the almost infinite amount of things it seems like you need to do with um, with the kind of attention and energy and, and commitment that that only a founder can really give. Um, and that's amazing, but also it can blow the rocket apart at the same time as you're trying to build it. So it's an interesting question. Uh, do you want a co-founder? So for example, at SmartBear, I did not have a co-founder and at IT Watchdogs, I did. I was happy to have a co-founder earlier in my career because I my co-founder was very experienced and so I learned a lot. And really, at IT Watchdogs, my co-founder, Jerry Cullen, was, I consider, a great mentor, one of my two great mentors in my life. And so uh, so that was tremendous and, and, and uh, my career and life it was much better because I had a co-founder there. At SmartBear, though, I was kind of ready to do it alone. I, I am more of a loner in that sense. I think I'm nat- naturally someone who does not want a co-founder. Um, so, you know, once again, you can see that even in the same person, um, two choices, you know, the opposite choices that made sense for me, just where I was in life or how I felt as a person and so forth. It just goes to show how much there isn't one right answer. So I think what you, what you go into with a, with a co-founder is the question of, do I want something that has a higher chance of, of really succeeding, but also a higher chance of, um, of failing as a result? Or, as James said just a minute ago, do I want something that's a little bit, that maybe a slower but is completely in my own control? Um, and will I be happier sort of being in my own contr- in control, um, even if it fails, of course, um, and kind of go slow and steady and, and see what happens? And, I, and again, there's no right answer. The question is what feels right, what feels like something that would be more fulfilling. Um, so in the first question, how do you pick the idea? Um, so for the first few companies, well, let's see, for, for SmartBear, um, I stumbled upon the right idea. So I had an idea for building a tool that would mine version control data for uh, version control for data about software that would help people uh, make better decisions about software. For example, um, a file that you haven't changed in eight months that suddenly you changed that's a risky thing to do. Um, whereas something that's been under heavy development it's probably not uh, risky or surprising that's getting edited. So it makes sense to have some kind of historian, and so I call it a code historian that would mine version control for information. So that's what I started with. It turned out people abused that product, at least that's how I would put it, um, in order to do code reviews with each other. Because there was this set of people who really wanted to do code reviews and there was just no tools and no help to do it. And it, it just so happened that you could you could kind of abuse this to do it. It was still annoying. So I followed my nose and followed them doing that and built a code review tool. And that really took off. I ended up building six tools in total um, but about five years later, when we looked back on it, um, Code Collaborator, which was the name of the code review tool, was 98% of the revenue. And uh, of course, the other uh, tools were more than 2% of things like customer support and, and work. So it made sense for us to get rid of all the tools and just stick with Code Collaborator, which we eventually did. So, th- but this is a this is a journey of maybe five years, and again, multiple millions of revenue, and only about twelve people in the whole company. So, a very efficient, bootstrap, profitable sort of a company, um, and that was stumbling into it. So that was luck, but luck with your eyes open. And so, you know, the usual way to think of that is luck is always happening, good luck, bad luck. And the question is, are you out there in the field um, with something, trying to make a buck, trying to do stuff, listening to what people are saying, reacting to that, <clears throat> not just thinking you have the answers, and um, 
you know, and then good luck, when good, good luck blows your way, you're prepared to take advantage of it. And when bad luck happens, hopefully you're, you're, uh, you're being sort of sustainable and responsible enough with the business and finances that you can weather it. So that's the usual sort of way to think about that. Now at WP Engine, it was different because having sold, we sold IT watchdogs as well. So having had two exits, I'd, I have enough money at that point that I didn't have to work ever again. So I wasn't. So what I did is I left uh, Smart Bear um, and I was a stay-at-home dad for a year. My wife was pregnant and so I thought this would be great. So that's what I did. Um, I had started a blog back at Smart Bear though and writing was a way to keep um, sort of connected with the, the the intellectual world outside of the, the, the mental fog that is having a newborn. And, um, so then it started taking off and getting popular. And at, I don't know what the turning point is, but maybe 20, 30, 40,000 RSS subscribers, something around along those lines. It got to the point where every time I made a post, the server would crash. And this was a dedicated VPS running WordPress. So I would call other WordPress friends up and say, Hey, um, I don't know if, uh, if what you, what do you guys use for WordPress? Cause I, I, I don't care if it costs like 50 bucks a month. It doesn't have to be super cheap, but I just don't, I just need it to not crash. What do you guys use? And the answer was always, I don't know, but if you find it, tell me, cause I need that. <laughs> so that's a good signal. <laughs> but one of the things I have learned over the years and also in, in uh, advising other companies and seeing their successes and failures both is that a lot of times the scratch your own itch is a great spark. It's a great kernel. It's a great place to begin. But the problem is that you're not your customer. And the, the, the trick, or the trap, I should say, is that people think, well, since I need it, it must be a good idea for a business. And that is usually not true. Usually not true. And the reason is you've probably thought of some kind of pain point that it does exist. But the question is, do other people know it exists? Is there enough of them that know it exists? Do they, uh, do they, can they understand quickly that your product would solve it? Does it solve it with the right amount of money in the right way? Can you, can you get to those people? You know, a lot of problems are only possible to solve with a lot of spend and same advertising or, or marketing. So can you get to those people in the first place? Is it cost effective to deliver the solution? Is, I mean, there's just a ton of things. And this, is, this isn't about raising money. This is just any company has to do these mm-hmm. things. And it's often not true that the itch you want to scratch um, is a business in, that, in, the, in those senses. So you have to check it out. And so I did that with WP Engine. Um, now, to put this in perspective, though, before I tell you um, how that went, um, I'll give you a counterexample I also did at around the same time. I had another idea for a company um, in which it would be smart about collecting web analytics and even lead data from people coming to your site. And it had some really cool features. For example, in tools like Google Analytics and those, um, when you figure out something like, oh, this action is worth a 50 cents to me or this conversion is worth $10 to me. Once you figure that out and put it in the tool, it doesn't backdate that. It just works going forward. So it takes a really long time actually to find out, um, okay, now now that I've got the real data, I've got to wait to see what's, what channels are working or what conversions are working, A-B tests, as opposed to backdating it where you'd know that information now. That could save you literally a couple of months. That's, that's tremendous um, for any business of any size. And so it had a couple other features, but you get the idea. There was some neat stuff. So I did customer development. I took it out and, and said, you know, what do you think about this? And how do you do analytics today? And how would you use that? And how, how would you pay for it? And all the usual things you do. We could talk more about, about how to do customer development like that if you want. Anyway, what happened was everyone's first reaction was, that's a great idea. You know what you should do with that? And then the next thing they said, everyone told me something different. 
that's a great idea. You should charge $10,000 a month and sell it through uh, 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 value-added resellers that are doing stuff with Marketo and, and uh, Quora. And then, and then the next person says, that's a great idea. You should give it away for free and get a lot of people to use it and then have an upgrade. Then someone else says, that's a great idea. You should charge $50 a month and get to the SMB market. And, and so on. And then another person wanted me to do it for um, advertisers because there was some reason why advertisers might want it. I forget why. In other words, the, the key there, though, is the first thing they always said was, that's a great idea. And yet it was not a good idea, actually. And the reason it wasn't actually a good idea is that there was no agreement on actually what it is and why it's useful and who it's for and what, how you charge and all that stuff I just listed. There actually wasn't clear what that was or how that could work. And that means it actually was, sure, there's a kernel of a good idea in there somewhere. Like some of those little tricks or features are probably good, but, but the business didn't emerge. I think a lot of entrepreneurs start with the, or stop, I should say, at, oh, people tell me this is a good idea. Rather than digging all the way through, is this a good business? That's why I told you that whole story because you know I could have gone through that same trap. The, my my mental model to, that you can copy for this was: there, you don't. Uh, the more you dug into it, the more you the more it got confusing and muddy and unclear exactly what to do. That's a bad sign. You could say that's divergent. Whereas when you're finding real truth, real ground truth then the more you dig in, the more you keep hearing the same thing over and over until it's boring. And that's what happened with WP Engine. I would talk to people, well, you know, what do you care about hosting? What, what are your gripes about your current hosting? What would, you know, why would you pay $50 a month, which is probably 10 times what you're currently paying your shared host, et cetera, et cetera. And it turned out there were four things. And now, um, of course, we have now a, at least a dozen competitors who say the same four things. So it's no s secret now. But those four things that people would pay $50 a month if I did was make it fast, make it scale when there's a lot of traffic, make it secure. And when I pick up the phone and talk to support, they have to answer questions about WordPress, not just about the server. So we call those the four S's, speed, scale, security, service. Um, so I found that if I had those, that would be enough that I could easily get people to pay $50 a month. And in fact, I did 50, five, zero interviews. Of them, I got 40 people who said, yeah, I would, I would do that. And then it, when I launched, 30 did which is really good. That's really, really good statistics. I would be happy with even a third of that would actually be probably a good signal. <laughs> so, um, but the more I talked to people, it was just the same damn things. They're, they're talking about how, you know, blah, blah got hacked or, um, oh, the, you know, Google's SEO is changing and saying that they're gonna value speed and so now people are talking about speed. Whatever the stuff was, it was just the same damn thing over and over till it was, quite literally boring. And boring is good because it means you're not learning anything and that's because you've gotten to some kind of truth. So that's what it looks like when it's convergent on some ground truth instead of divergent and, and not hitting truth. So you have to sort of be willing to um, be critical about your ideas and dig all the way into those other business um, at, uh, uh, considerations before you decide it's a good idea, which is why I selected WP Engine as an idea and not um, this other idea. Right. And so with WP Engine, to circle back to the aspect of partnering, once you get, once you had this feedback and it was obviously looked like a very good idea, how did you go about building a team that could actually make this happen? Because obviously building a hosting company is not just a one-man job, obviously. So how did you go about that? Well, uh, WP Engine was bootstrapped for 18 months, actually. 
um, because again, I'm a bootstrapper. So I didn't think I was going to raise money. I thought I was going to bootstrap just like I always do. And this just seemed like a good one. <laughs> That's all. So 18 months in, uh, so first of all, uh, even 18 months in, the team was four, I believe. Mm-hmm. So it's not like this was a big scaling, whatever, you know, right. raise money. It wasn't that. It was a boot, it was a successful or successful so far bootstrap company. Um, but <clears throat> a couple of things, a couple of things happened that made me decide to change course and raise money and, and, and change the goals and ch- uh, for the business. One was I found myself thinking, I don't know that I want to just have the same journey again, the bootstrapping journey. Not because I, I uh, don't like it. Obviously, that's not the case. But just if I, I've done it several times, I've already made money that way. And you have to have a beginner's mind every time. You can't think, I know how to do this now. That's never true. The whole world's uh, oh, different and you can't have that mindset. There's a few things like, I don't know, buying insurance or some, some crap. Like, there's little details, I suppose, you know how to do. But most of it, you you have to have the beginner's mind every time you approach it. But still... The, the journey was going to be the same. That is, it's cash constrained. Um, it's just, as James said, uh, slow and steady, um, risk averse. You know, people think of entrepreneurship as risky, but actually bootstrapping is very risk averse. You're not taking big risks that risk the whole company because you don't have the money to recover if those risks don't pan out. So actually you're very risk adverse. Um, and and so I just thought like, I, I don't know that, I, that, that it's interesting for me to do that yet again from scratch. Um, at the same time, now that I'm a parent, um, the idea of having a bigger team um, was more was actually more uh, interesting. Of like, rather than like the Jason show, like it actually sounds a lot better this time to have the us show, the we show, um, and have great people who are much better than me at every single position that they're in. Which of course is the job of the CEO to hire people that are better than yourself at whatever you're hiring them for. That is the it's a weird fact, but it's the, it's their job. Like that actually sounded a lot better than having it be the Jason show. And then the, the final thing was, um, it, it was clear that, um, that this opportunity is big enough. So raising money means that you're gonna build a company worth a billion dollars. And that's a big statement. And almost no company can ever be worth a billion dollars. And again, that's not a bad statement. It's just like, of course, and, and nor should they. Well, it didn't even make sense why it would be, right? But it's just um, the, the way that VC math works, and we can talk about why if you if you would like. But the bottom line is the VC, VC math does not work unless the company can be worth a billion dollars. Well, it became clear that actually WP Engine could be. It does have that potential in terms of its growth rate, the size of the market, the fact that the market's growing, the fact that, uh, of our leadership position in that market and our, our uh, conviction that we could continue to grow that, and even our conviction that we could grow the market itself, in other words, not just grow within the WordPress community, but that we could, we have the ability to go with our experience set, market outside the WordPress community and bring people to WordPress, which of course benefits the community because it means James can sell more uh, ninja forums as well, right, to more people. So this is a this is a symbiotic good thing to grow the community, but we have that ability, so that means we could grow in that direction as well. And uh, and so it, it it, it was the kind of opportunity that, that uh, we thought could do that. And so far, of course, it, it has been working out that way. Um, I guess Automatic is the only other company, unless you want to include the shared hosts like GoDaddy, which isn't really a WordPress company. But So Automatic is probably the only other WordPress company where you would also say that they have that, um, that sort of 
trajectory and um, and uh, and and market potential to do that. So um, so it was that combination of things that was like this is an op- this is a chance to do that. Whereas my other ideas weren't like there's no way Smart Bear would be a billion dollar company ever. No way, and that doesn't bother me at all. It just was it's developer tools. Developer tools aren't that kind of opportunity. The market's just not that big, and that's fine. Um, nowadays, by the way, it, it, it may be that, that big, <laughs> um, but at the time in the, in the early 2000s, that was not true. And so, um, so th- those are the kind of factors, personal and, and sort of business that conspired, um, for, for me to decide that actually I wanted to take a different path, different journey and, and see how that went. And of course it's been fantastic. Awesome. Um, uh, James, do you have any other questions? Uh, well, you know, I just one of the things I wanted to kind of highlight. You said it quite a while, while back, and I kind of wrote it down because a lot of times when we talk about business, and you've t- you said uh, pretty, oh, you know, pretty uh, transparently, right? Like the chance of any of these businesses actually succeeding is it's a rare thing, right? Like it's it's not like businesses just crop up and are successful every single day, and all of us, hey, just go ahead and start a business, and you're going to be successful. You just have to do A, B, and C. Like there is some amount of and I've I've said this a number of times right like I feel in our own space and obviously we're we're never probably going to be no not, not never probably we're never going to be a billion dollar company um, but that being said the success that we have had I've I've felt has been extremely lucky but I love what the the phrase you said luck with eyes open right like this idea of yes I luck right place right time right market recognizing trends, seeing things, and then making, based on that, with your eyes open, right, making some educated decisions to move yourself in that direction, and which you got, you did, right, with WP Engine. First mm-hmm. 18 months, you're, you're bootstrapped, but something pivots, something changes, and you go, okay, first I have the 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 introspection of your own life journey, right? I don't know that I want to build the same thing that I've built in the past. I don't know that I want to bootstrap. I think a team would be great, right? And then your eyes are open to the trend and the market and, and the need and your own growth, and you kind of make a pivot. Hey, let's go ahead and get funding for this thing. Let's let's make this the, the company that I, I, I see that it can be. And so it is absolutely a lot of luck, but there was a lot of experience and a lot of, you know, education in that process, a lot of knowledge that helped inform that luck. For luck to be lucky, it requires somebody to be astute and attentive to the things that are happening around them. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's luck, but you can stack the deck. Yeah, exactly. Right. And and so you must, and then you can still, it's just like the great poker players. They can't win every time, even if they're the best poker player ever. There's still luck in poker, but that doesn't mean there's not also great poker players. Of course that's true. I, I think entrepreneurship is not terribly different from that. Um, I think, uh, yeah, you have to keep your eyes open. That's that is for sure. Um, just, to, just to sort of underscore what you just said about how, how difficult it is, take the WordPress community. Here's uh Tens of thousands of people who make their primary income off of WordPress, according to the the surveys that that uh, that the foundation does, right? And yet, if I asked you, uh, okay, what are all the WordPress companies where the founders make at least one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year themselves, uh, you know, left over after the rest of the companies is paid? And you can list them. In fact, I think there's a website that lists them. There's like fifteen or twenty. So. That's a very, very small number, and the bar I just set was not high. In fact, I said that because that's probably what those same founders could get if they got like a good engineering job or whatever their, their proclivity is, heading up design or product or engineering or something like that somewhere, which they can do. You can go ahead and get that job if you want. Um, 
okay, then you probably make something like that, um, you know, plus or minus depending on your uh, on where you live. So that's your opportunity cost. And there's almost no one out of the WordPress community who has done it. So that implies it's rare and difficult because a lot yeah. more people than that have tried. <laughs> so, so it's hard. Yeah. So the very fact that we can name it is it means it's 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 uh, unlikely. Um, so yeah, you have to have your eyes. You've given me a new goal for 2017 too. Just <laughs> yeah. to, just to go over that. I, I don't have too far to go, See? but I'll just go ahead and push it over the edge and get now, on that Of course, list. I don't mean to say that's the, that is the definition of success. No. Of course, I don't mean that, right? Absolutely. Like uh, a freelancer making 40K, and you, but you own your own uh, life and you do it from wherever and blah, blah, blah. Like clearly that is massive success, right? So I, don't, I do not that's at awesome. all want to imply that as the only definition of success. I only want to point out that mean, that's a demonstration of how hard it is to build um, let's just say a small business, if that's the goal, it's hard. That's that's all I mean. Mm-hmm. And then having wide, eyes wide open is really good. I think um, one of the one of the phrases I've used for years is is uh, strong opinions weakly held. And the idea yeah. is that you do need to have a strong pers- a point of view. What is your purpose? What what's important about your product? What matters to your customers? Where's the market going? How do you position against the competition and so on? Like all these kinds of questions, it's important to have firm answers uh, because otherwise, how do you make decisions? How do you decide what features to do? How do you decide what to invest in with the little bits of money that that, that are available um, to, to put into an ad or an event or whatever or, or another engineer? Like you have to have strong opinions so you can make those kinds of decisions and invest in the business. But you can't. Uh, you also have to have an open mind all of the time. Any of those ideas could be wrong. In fact, some of them are definitely wrong. There is no way that all of your ideas about everything are correct. And some of that is because you're, you're just, there's no way you can, you can be that uh, knowledgeable uh, or in, in a world in which most of the information that you probably need is not available to you. Also, the world changes. So things that were true last year may not be true today. So there is no way that your, that your strong opinions are correct. So you have to be always on the lookout. What's wrong and what might I need to change? So that's strong opinions weekly held. Another fun analogy. So I, I used to fly little planes. And one of the, one of the things you learn is, um, is a phrase called who's lying. And what it means is you look at your gauges and there's, you know, the dashboard's full of gauges. And uh, you, often one of the gauges is wrong. It's broken. It's stuck. The needle's stuck to the, um, to, the, to the glass. And so it's not actually telling you that. Is often something's wrong, and that's part of why you have different ones. One might be powered by suction and one, or vacuum, and one's powered by electricity. So if you if you lose one or the other, you have the other. So the you're always asking who's wrong. Which of these gauges is lying to me? Because 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 it's likely one of them is. So to me, that's that's sort of the modality. Like you got to fly the plane and use the gauges and go, and you can't be like paranoid. But you've got to always be asking, um, triangulating. Is some of this information wrong? something different do I need to change my mind and I think that's that is the right sort of healthy healthy paranoid attitude um, but uh, on the subject of, of sort of building the life that you want which you also just touched on um, it didn't just end with me switching from bootstrapping to raising money I continued to change what my role is at the company uh, I, I stepped down as the CEO and became the CTO three and a half years ago so halfway into the life of the company as it is today, um, that's a big change for a founder to decide not to be the, the head honcho. Um, and that, too, is about building um, about the, the sort of um, emotional life and the actual life and, and enjoying 
and loving what I do every day. Because again, what's the point of building a company um, if you don't like what you do every day? <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> like again, like then you should quit and go find something that is that, whether it's your own company or not, <laughs> right? Um, and because it's not so so. And then even then, um, I there, there was other pieces of so then I ran R and D and product. Now I just run product, and I don't even run uh, the engineering group anymore. So, um, and again, I can explain why and my mentality there. But um, it, again, the, the bottom line is it's about building, it, being excited, not getting burned out, um, doing what you love, but also having a huge impact on the company because you have to do both, obviously. Um, and uh, and that is in fact what's best. And um, so I haven't, I didn't stop with that one choice. I've made lots of choices, um, and even really big ones like that, like that, um, along the way to continue to optimize for that. Um, so, so I'm definitely walking the, my own talk. <laughs> and th- you know, th- that's a great takeaway too, because I talk to a lot of people in business or starting a business or after the fact where they say, you know, when I started out, I started as a developer, I built this project, uh, it grew a little bit, I had to hire people, and now I manage people, and I'm exactly miserable. Like, all I do is manage exactly. people. And, and and I think, and we, we say this a number of times, and I say this about most things, right? The position that you're in is not terminal, right? You can change it. And so if you're in a situation where you're not happy, you have this business, and you're not happy with the position you have backed yourself into, if that, mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever analogy works for you, Right start to make the steps to change it. You did that, right? You 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 had this business, you found out maybe whatever the case, you started to make sh- changes. You shifted from CEO to CTO where you were much happier mm-hmm. uh, doing something that you love to do. And some people have to kind of get that into their head, right? Like whatever you're building. And like you said earlier too, right? You don't always know what you want. You don't always know until you get there. And sometimes you get to a place and you go, oh, wait, I didn't want this. I didn't know it, but now I know I don't want it change it start making start making you know be smart look at the situation and start to to shift you, you the position that you are in the the state of mind that you are in is not doesn't have to be terminal it can be changed well it definitely is a terminal right unless you choose it to be um and here's a right. funny thing founders often feel the most trapped because they feel like i have to be the ceo and i have to be in charge and uh my and a lot of people, and I think James, even you are, are like this a lot. Your, your, your attitude is servant leadership, but to but to the extreme, where you're like, if anyone is going to hurt, it's going to be me first. If anyone's not going to get paid, it's going to be me first. If anyone's going to have to do drudge work that sucks, it's going to be me first. Um, if someone's going to change the pellets in the urinals, it's going to be me doing that, not an engineer, <laughs> right? And that is that right. in general, that's really good, right? Because I mean, obviously, we don't have to say why that's good. It's obviously a, tr- a, a tremendous <laughs> attitude. I have the same attitude, of course. And uh, it's it's part of why people want to be at a, at a company like that. Because um, you're fighting with the troops, as it were, right? You're not elite and not in a, in a castle telling you what to do. On the other hand, if you polled your own employees and asked, do you think it's healthy and good and just that James changes the pellets and the urinals every time? They'd probably say no. They would probably say, we want James to make more money than everyone else. That makes sense. <laughs> like, not 10 times as much money as an expert, but like, yes, <laughs> like that's that, of course he shouldn't not make money. That's stupid. And no, he shouldn't have to always do all the drudge work. That makes no sense. Like, I bet that no one would agree that that is actually a good idea. And so that's interesting. So founders feel trapped 
but their but their employees don't want them to be trapped. And also, as the founders, you have the most freedom. You can elect to have a different position or hire people in, that do a certain thing or whatever. Like there's lots of, of course, there's always lots of ways around things and lots of ways to solve things. But as founders, you actually should have the most freedom in how to organize the business around your desires and so you should and yet and yet they feel i, I find um just the opposite that they're, they're they want to give all the freedom and, and and happiness to their employees and leave none for themselves so um so two two things about how to do that um or how to think about that one is um what you can do for employees especially <clears throat> just as you said james where something could be terminal how to make it not terminal how do, how do you set things up to be non-terminal in the first place so a trick we use at wp engine is called the tour of duty and the way this works is we say let's say someone says just as you just said uh i want i think i want to be a manager and we say okay so what we do is we'll say so and so is taking a tour of duty um as the manager of, of a team x um, and we're going to do this for three months or four months, some kind of reasonably short time period. And we're if in in uh, this isn't even this person's job, so we just thank them for actually stepping up and do something that's not even their normal job. Uh, thank you for helping us in in, a, in you know in a position that we need and isn't filled yet. So they go do it, and then let's suppose it doesn't work out. They're not cut out to be a manager. So all we say is, well, that was the tour of duty. It was already time boxed. Thank you for that. Now he's going back to doing whatever he was doing. And uh, thank you so much for helping out. No problem. You just undo it because it was temporary always. And on the other hand, of course, if, uh, if it does work out, you just say, you know, this was supposed to be temporary, but it worked great. So we're just going to keep it. So congratulations on your promotion or whatever. And... Uh, that's it. Like it's just it's equally easy to, to deal with the success case or the or the failure case if you call it a tour of duty in the first place. So that's a, that's one trick. That doesn't work so much for founders, I think, because it's a little disingenuous. But it, it works, I think, for most people. So it's a good trick. Um, so for actually, this isn't so. So this next uh, tip isn't just for founders, actually, but it, but it does it does answer that question. And in fact, this is exactly the framework I used to decide to step down from a CEO. It was this particular framework that I used. So you can absolutely use it um, that way. But actually, we've we've now used this framework for everyone at WP Engine. So it, it turns out it's, it's quite generic. So the framework actually starts out uh, talking about delegation, which is another interesting topic, and it's kind of related because, in a sense, if you step down from a CEO to something else, you're you're delegating the CEO, which is quite a delegation, but it's true, right? So <laughs> here, here's here's how this framework works, and I didn't make this up, so uh, I'm not I'm not smart enough to do it. I'm just smart enough to uh, I guess remember it and repeat it. <laughs> um, so the idea is there's there's four there's four kinds of uh, of well not just four, but you can split up work into four buckets. One is stuff you're bad at. Then stuff you're okay at, stuff you're excellent at, and then there's your superpowers, your special powers. So the difference between excellence and superpower is this. Um, a superpower is something that is completely innate. It's where you get your flow from, where you get into that state where you forget to go to the bathroom and you forget everything. You're just immersed in it. With excellence, you have to work at it. Maybe you went to school at it, maybe you studied a lot, maybe you practiced a lot to become good at it. But it's not that super, super state. Another way you know the difference is when you do something you're excellent at all day, 
At the end of the day, you're tired. You did great work, but you are freaking exhausted. You're zapped. You're done. But when you do the thing that you're, is your superpower all day, you're energized. You want to do it more. <laughs> you, it's great. Like you're, you're positive energy after doing it all day. Another good example is, um, let's suppose someone's uh, 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 superpower is that they're an extrovert, good at parties. So they enter the room and they're going around the room, going in and out of conversations and stuff and working the whole room. And then there's this introvert in the corner and the extrovert comes over and the introvert says, how do you do that? Like, give me a tip. Give me a tip. I just give me a tip to help. Like, how do you do that? And the extrovert says, how do I do what? Like, it's not, it's not even something you're thinking of. It's not like they, they thought about it. They don't even have language to describe it. They just do it. Okay, so this is the difference, the distinction between superpower and excellence. Now, when you have this framework for delegation, it's, it becomes clear that it's easy to delegate stuff you're bad at or okay at because you know you're bad at it. You don't even want to do it, probably. And it's obvious other people will be better at it than you. So this is an easy choice. The trick is to delegate the things you are excellent at. But only by doing that can you live in your state of superpower most uh, or most often. Because if you do what you're excellent at for, for like five years, you'll be burnt out. That's the trick. Yeah. But it's very hard yeah. to delegate it because you're good at it. And that means like you have opinions about it. So let's suppose you're excellent at design. Well, you hire a designer, but, oh, you want to argue about everything and the font and the color and the pixel and the thing, right? And and, you, and you're not wrong. Like, you have really valid opinions, and it took a long time to get them. So that all that makes it very difficult to empower someone else. But, of course, the trick is if you can find someone else where that is, in fact, their superpower. And so it is both their area of excellence and emotionally it's their area where they're energized, supercharged, etc. That is a magical moment where everyone can sort of get into their flow and into their superpowers, which means that they're not burnt out. And just using like sort of the, the typical, I don't know, bureaucratic metrics like productivity, like clearly they're going to be incredibly productive in that sense. They're probably going to work too much, but they'll be happy about it because that's their happy place. So that's okay. So... So if you can get over delegating something that you're excellent at, but only to someone where it's in their superpower, you start creating an incredible organization and um, you're healthier and happier. And so is everyone else. That's the, that is magic. Now, of course, this is an idealization. You can't always be there and this and that, right? But with that mentality of trying to think of it that way and trying to maximize that, um, that's, that's incredibly healthy and productive and efficient and whatever for the organization. So this is exactly how I thought about um, the CEO position. Now, I love being the CEO when it's a small company, uh, like maybe up to 30, 50, 60 people, something like that. I, I like being the CEO. But there's a point around, it depends on the company, but around 60 or 80 or 100 people where things change. Of course, things change as soon as you get to maybe 12 or 15 people where you start needing the first manager, where it's not true that everyone can know what everyone else is doing always. That's, a, that's an inflection point. Another one comes, again, somewhere in this like 50 to 100 range um, where it's just, just a lot more stuff that you need. You, you get more than one level of management um, or just a ton of managers. Um, you, you start needing specialization in areas like finance or human resources or, um, or even just engineering and, and whatnot, where you, just hiring another generic uh, engineer is actually not going to further the things that you need. Um, and you might need an architect or a senior something or other or a, 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 
a manager, a product, you know, actually have product special, specialization instead of engineers talking to customers directly all the time. So there's all kinds of things that, that you might need. And, and then in our case, um, also, there's things like managing the board and investors and things like that. Um, and so there's a lot of things that happen. The f even finances get more complicated and so forth. So at that point, you look at the, the bullet points of the CEO, and those are things that um, I, weren't, I wasn't as interested in doing. So like building a, a global sales force and holding them to account. That's, that's not something that energized me. Um, you know, I, I had, I don't know, maybe five or ten sales folks at that point. I don't know. Um, but they were all in Austin, and, and uh, you know, things were okay. But, like, it wasn't this, this hyper-organized, scaling, multi-geography, blah, blah, blah system. And, like, I just looked at it and thought, ugh, I don't know. Like, I'd rather think about product. I'd rather think about architecture and not that. So not only is it not my best expertise, but also it would be unenergizing to attempt to do it. So that means it's suboptimal for the organization because we should have someone where that's energized, energizing and and that they're very good at it, right? Um, and so forth. So, so that's what we did. And so it was exactly that framework. And then I'll give you one final thing about that, which I think is useful for founders too. Because there's an ego component, and this is true not just of being the CEO or not. It's it's true of many things. So I think it's a g generically useful um, piece of advice. But I mean, there's an ego thing about being the CEO. You're in control, and you're the head honcho, and whatever, right? And it's easy to just say, well, you know, you shouldn't you shouldn't have that as a consideration. But let's be let's be fair and let's be honest. It is, <laughs> like, right? Like it is. And again, isn't that part of entrepreneurship too? I mean, it takes it takes a lot of ego to say the world isn't complete yet and I'm the one to help <laughs> like the world is missing me and my product you know like, what the hell like, no, it's probably not you know <laughs> it's probably the world probably doesn't right, care right. <laughs> that takes a hubris and again that's good I'm, I'm you know I'm not saying that as a bad thing that's part of what it takes it takes some tenacity it takes some thick skin it takes you have to be able to handle stress make decisions and a big ego is probably necessary right okay but you'd, you'd prefer if that didn't drive uh, major decisions all the time. Um, and here's one where obviously it, it has an effect. And so I was told something really useful that kind of clicked it in my mind. So I just want to you know, give this to everyone who's listening as well. Um, so I was sitting down with one of our investors and um, we were talking about this. And he goes, and, and also this investor himself had been an entrepreneur and taken a company public. And so he had, he had seen this whole journey too. He's not like a Wall Street investor guy. He's a you know, self-made investor guy. So he, he gets it and he goes, uh, I know what you're thinking. I said, what? He goes, you're thinking that if WP Engine is wildly successful and it it grows to a, a thousand people and is a and it, and it lives in Austin for decades or you sell it for a billion dollars or you go public or whatever, whatever it is, if it's wildly successful, you want the credit. And I said, well, you know, not me alone. In fact, uh, I just posted, I made a blog post yesterday, actually, about how I, I don't feel like that at all. But um, I said, but yeah, I know what you mean. And yes, like I want not not the only only the the, the only person that gets the credit. But yeah, I want I want to be like responsible for that somehow, right? And I want the the sort of external credit for that, right? And he goes, right. Well, you're the founder. You'll always get the credit for that. No one can take that away from the founder. Right. You will, no matter what and who does what and all that stuff, externally, ego-wise, externally, you're going to get the credit. 
And you know, it's yeah. a very simple thing, and it's also uh, shallow, right? It's about because it's about ego. <laughs> but to, at least to me, and so maybe to other folks listening, I don't know. But at least for me, that was actually a big moment of like, yeah, yeah. F- who cares? Like, like who cares? The title I should be optimizing for me and for the business, for 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 me not being burnt out and for the business to be uh, successful by by having the best people at each position. Um, because my ego will be fine. I'll actually get all the goodies for the ego anyway. So as silly as, and I guess in retrospect, as obvious as that is, for me that was a big help. Um, and it, you know, obviously it can be a help for more than just th- that particular title. It's just true for, in general for thinking about what is your role in the business and how do you continue to make that role something that's healthy and happy and maybe leaving that that you know, like for some people that might be necessary. I don't know, um, but. <laughs> But to me, that was that was uh, that was helpful. No, that's that's great. You know, we probably need to wrap up. Uh, we're coming a little close to coming up to an hour on the show. But I actually uh, it, risking going too long, uh, which I don't think we are because this is all amazing information. But that being said, risking going a little bit longer, I want to talk come back a little bit to some of the stuff you talked about: the tour of duty and the delegation, the idea of the bad, the okay, the excellent, and the superpowers. And this, and first of all, I just want to say for all, I heard a little bit about some of this uh, in Cabo Press. So mm-hmm. this is just another John will love it because I keep <laughs> plugging it. Um, uh, this is a type of stuff you get at Cabo Press, right? Only you get to hear it face to face and then carry on conversations where it's after, right? And 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 dig into a little deeper. And I do want to dig into this one a little bit because when I hear about the tour of duty and and even some of the delegation stuff, that sounds like it makes perfect sense at 430 people. But what do you, how do you do something like a tour of duty? What is there a 10 person version of that? Is there a, you know, a company of 10? How do you or or even in a company of 10, how do you go about evaluating the bad, the okay, the excellent and the superpowers? Some of it is observable, certainly, right? You can you can see that. But is there a systematic way of doing that in a smaller company that that perhaps doesn't have, you know, and if I might add, sure. So, and yeah, I please. had the same, I had this exact same question, and I was going to ask you. But um, I would also my my specific part of the question is that we are all remote based. So unlike James, perhaps in the office at uh, WP Ninjas, it's quite easier to observe certain superpowers certainly you can see who's tired at the end of the day versus who's not but online these things even because we're working on different time zones it gets very murky and it's hard to identify the superpower that people have so i was wondering whether you can even address the specific part of the question as well sure yeah good so first of all you know we didn't start this at 400 you know we started this a long time ago so um yeah it absolutely works anywhere i think so um so a few things here one is knowing where how people feel that way is probably something that you need them to figure out. In other words, feeling energized at the end of the day because blank is probably something that a manager can't necessarily know. Maybe a very good one who's watching them can kind of say, you know, I noticed you this, that, and the other thing, or you're happier when you do this. That's That's great, but probably that's something that a person has to generate. And this also goes to your question about remote and so forth. Yeah. So how do you get that from people? How do you help people through that? So, you know, the most common way is is one-on-ones and a lot of one-on-ones and being smart about how you use one-on-ones. We do weekly one-on-ones and some, and, and uh, occasional skip level one-on-ones. And we've been doing that 
since maybe 20 people. So that's not a, that's not at all a thing. And really, you should do it forever. Uh, I mean, if two founders should ha- should set aside time once a week, um, two lone founders should set aside time once a week, step back from the business and talk about this stuff, right? In fact, they could maybe trade of yeah. who's who's kind of leading. So in a one-on-one, I mean, there's a lot of different ways to do it, of course. And, and I think as long as you pick a framework you like for that, that's probably enough. And it's okay. Also, I think if different managers and different groups use different frameworks, because maybe you maybe you want to. Um, but I think the fundamental thing is it's the the purpose is to help the employee. It's not to do a status update on projects. It's not to tell them things that they need to know, or whatever. It's to help them. So sometimes helping them is giving them feedback on specific things that didn't go well. They you did this in a meeting, and here's how it was perceived, kind of stuff. Sometimes. But a lot of it is just what they want to do. So, for example, I start a lot of one-on-ones just by asking, how's it going? And as, as odd as that is, like, they just start talking about stuff that's on their mind. And that's good, right? <laughs> you sort of find things that aren't on the project plan that need to be discussed. So among the many things that you could do in one-on-one, one of them is to say, okay, uh, what is, let's pick one personal goal that you have that, we're gonna, that, that we can help with. And we're going to just touch on that every week. It's not going to be in your performance plan. And we're not going to, it's not based on comp and it's not about projects. It's just how, how are you growing right now? And this idea of, of figuring out, you know, what's in your superpower is a great suggestion for something that could be done. It's like, hey, figuring out what that is would be amazing. Like that, because then we can help design that for you here at work. And it's just kind of a life thing that you'd want to know. Let's work on that as a, as a project to figure out what that is. Right, and you can use a one-on-one to sort of kick that off and, and then check back in. And again, I think you know you can read online about flow and these things, but um, it's pretty easy to to read about what does it feel like when it's happening. So then, once you know what it feels like when it's happening, then you simply try to be um, aware of that. Um, now, some people say keep a journal. That's fine. You can write down every hour, every every five minutes. You know, this is what's happening. Here's how I feel. Um, some people find that very useful. Other people don't like that. You know, it's very personal how you, how you go about this sort of stuff, right? But that's an example of how to do it. And then you realize these things like I'm happier in the mornings than in the evenings, or I'm more productive in the evenings than in the mornings, or it's when I'm working on these topics, or it's when there is or isn't a meeting during that day. How do I feel? Or working from home versus work, if that's uh, one of the options. So, I mean, it could be all sorts of different things, right? So keeping a journal helps you objectively step back and look at stuff and say, what is the pattern? Um, also, one thing I've found when I've tried to do journaling, which I've done a couple of times in the last uh, 10 years, um, and mostly for like time management type stuff, like where's my time going kind of thing. I find that like I'll, I'll set a goal like I'm going to do this for one week and then look at it. But what happens is by Tuesday afternoon, just the act of having to think about it consciously and write it down, I kind of already have the big answers I need. Like, look, I can already see I'm spending way too much time in email. I got it. Like, I actually don't need, like, I I can just fix that problem and maybe try this again in a month or two or three because, like, that's obviously the big chunky problem right now. So I find, like, maybe just the act of trying to do it is just as valuable as as this the quote unquote data that, that that you collect and so journaling can be quite helpful the point is like again online it's easy to find advice about one-on-ones and career development personal development flow and all these topics that kind of go into this question of what's your superpower and so uh, a one-on-one is a great way to, to sort of in quote unquote enforce or encourage that and then the main thing there is to be in coach mode so in other words as the person helping this other person through it, your job isn't to uh, judge them or 
maybe not even be negative or, or positive. Uh, um, uh, it's how are they feeling about it? Do you, are you proud of that? Do you, how do you think it's going? Um, what do you think we should do next? Um, what are some other ways you could approach that? So let's say they, let's say they have an approach and you don't like it. As, as a coach, you could you might say, okay, what are some other ways that you could approach this? If they haven't thought of any and they can't think of any, you're like, okay, well, let's get a couple options on the table. And then maybe that's a way to, to express an idea you have for how to do it. So that's a, that's a coach mentality as opposed to sort of manager-employee mentality with, a, I don't know, a, a problem of like, this is feedback. You need to hear it. You need to do it. This is the things you need to do. There is a time and place for that as well, right? Like that that is that kind of feedback is is important so that people can grow. But when you're talking about things like finding your flow, then it's not that sort of relationship. It's a coaching, uh, more coaching relationship, right? So that's another good thing to keep in mind as you're talking through these things. Um, you're no longer the the wise person has all the answers and telling him what to do. You're the facilitator at this point, right? So um, I would say um, also on this question, uh, so that's one-on-ones. I would say um, another thing about a small company is uh, th- that I would add in a small company because you mentioned that um, there's so many things to do and there's so many things that would probably help the company that it's very hard to, f- to focus down on what are the one or two most important things that we need to do to succeed or even to just not die. And very often as, well, really anyone in the company, but especially founders, we tend to do the things that we enjoy or that we're naturally good at instead of the things that need to be done. So for example, the, the classic example is, is the engineer CEO and the engineering CEO wants to think about product and code and not about advertising, marketing, selling, growing the business in other words. And so not enough time is spent on that. So as an example, if, if you, you know, for most small businesses, if you ask, is it more valuable that we unlock um, some kind of new channel to get new customers? Or is it more valuable that we add a feature? It's almost always more valuable to get the customers. Almost always. That's what, that's what you don't have. That's what's out of your control. You need more revenue. That's almost always the answer. But the engineering CEO very often will say, well, well, we'll run some AdWords, but then I'll get back to the code because that's what's comfortable and fun and nice. Designer's the same. And so uh, that's what I mean by not doing what's important so or what's most important. So, but if, again, you can be introspective about what is actually the most valuable thing you could do or that the business needs, I should say, that helps you focus also in on who needs to be at the company, who is the next hire, for example, and what, what is important to, to delegate? So if you knew that uh, growth is the most important thing, then hiring someone who, for whom that is, their, uh, that is their superpower is probably the single most valuable thing you can do. Not you doing it, hiring, which means finding and how would you interview that person and how would you hold them to, accountable. There's a lot of things that go into how do you do that none of those things is probably what the engineer's thinking, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? But that's actually probably the most valuable thing to do. Um, and even, and, and again, like another engineering mentality is, well, I'll figure out AdWords. I'll do it because I'm smart and this is math and A-B testing. And then I'll go hire someone or a consultant or somebody like that. I'll go delegate it because then I'll know how it works and so I'll know how to hold them accountable. 
And again, that's wrong. No, you want someone that knows so much about it that they're teaching you. And that you, your response is, you know what, that's enough detail. I don't care. Just do it. <laughs> right? That's good. That's what you want. Right? That's, that is more successful. So, um, so this idea of, of impact, what, is, what one, probably one, but maybe two things would impact the business the most that you really need? And then your time should be spent on that, which either means you're doing it or more likely you're trying to figure out how to get someone else where it's their superpower to do it. And that may mean also delegating something that's your, that you're excellent at so that you have time to either do it temporarily or, um, or work on finding someone who can do it or learning how to find someone who can do it. Um, so if you're a 10-person company, I would say you know, the CEO's concern is probably what is the next one or two hires? Um, is, is everyone at the business right now maximized in terms of what they're doing? Is there, should everyone be here? Because that's another common thing is to keep people when, when they shouldn't be here anymore. Um, and you don't have enough money and, and space when you're bootstrapped in 10 people to make that error um, and let that error continue. Um, and what's most important, you know, but mostly what's most important for the business and how do I get f- folks sort of working on the right things and, and the right people working on it. That's, that's really the job at that point. Now, if it's really just two people or three people, again, like it has to be one thing, not more than one thing. And you probably can't hire anyone yet either. So now you're having to horse trade the, the things that are important amongst yourselves and you have even less optionality in terms of the, the ideal of everyone being in their sweet spot. You probably just can't, right? <laughs> like there's just not enough people to do that, just not enough resources to do that. So, okay, you could still, all the more reason to focus on what is the most important thing that we need to be doing. And again, it's probably getting more revenue so we can hire people that where it is their sweet spot. That's probably the answer. Um, or maybe it's not, maybe it's profit maximization. You know, if the goal is, we never ever want an employee. We just want the, the three co-founders and no employees ever. But we want to maximize profits. Awesome. Perfect. Well, then maximizing profits is the thing. Although I would still bet that at that point, maximizing revenue but without employees is probably the best next step in order to maximize uh, profit because typically typically you can't, when you're small, there's not a lot of costs to cut to get more profit. It's usually that you need more revenue without adding too much cost is usually the answer when it's small. Usually, you know, course it can be different so you still probably need growth and revenue it still probably comes back to that and so you might need to horse trade the items um, as best you can because because you don't have so much freedom flexibility but even at 10 people you do because you can always ask are there one or two people that maybe um, shouldn't be here or should have a different title or different responsibilities so that they're better used Um, and who is the next person or two Um, and how does that how does that hit the main goal that's probably the the single most important thing that you know to be thinking about at a 10 person company. No, that's that is, Jason, that's awesome. Thank you so much for that. And actually I find that very encouraging because as as the CEO of a little 10 person company, um, that's actually all the things that you talked about and, and what we, what should be your focuses and a company, all the things I'm focusing on, right? Like I'm looking at about the next two to four hires and I'm, I'm just, I'm actually starting one-on-ones this month with everyone on the team, even though I may not be res- specifically responsible with all of their little, their individual tasks, I'm wanting to get an idea of my team members, what's, where they're, what, what kind of roadblocks are in their way? Um, are they in the right seat, you know, basically on the right seat on the bus, so mm-hmm. to speak. Um, and so that's all this kind of stuff that I'm focusing on as we move into this year. And you're absolutely right. Like as a business our size, right? Like I can't, there, I can't cut expenses anymore. Like our expenses are probably as low as they can possibly yeah. be. We spend very little on, on anything other than payroll, right? Payroll is our, obviously our biggest expense. And so the only way to really bring on new people is 
generate more revenue, <laughs> get more customers. So, yeah, no, I, I, I really appreciate it. It was uh, super, super you know, helpful. You know, James, and there's I, one other thing. I didn't hear you list a question that was about how you can be better. And it's, it's, it's probably not possible for you to ask someone directly, what can I do better? Or what can the company do better? Because leaders like that, a lot of people find it very difficult to, to tell the truth and, you know, and speak truth to power, as it were. Um, and also people often, often aren't thinking that generally about the business. <laughs> like they're, they're not thinking that broadly, yeah. right? <laughs> um, so a, a question we use that um, it, it's not perfect because, again, it, there's sort of this fundamental thing, uh, you know, fundamental problem with that. Um, but one of, the, one of the tricks we use is we say, let's say you have a, here's a magic wand. You can change one thing about the business and change it to anything you want or add something or take it away, change, whatever. You have a magic wand. What do you do? And it's a really open-ended question, obviously. Some people say, like, I wish I had a wall so that I could not hear other people talking. <laughs> Some people say, right? <laughs> I, one person once told me, um, I, I hate it whenever we have uh, f- we bring in food from this one place. I wish we never had that food and instead it came from this pizza place. Like, it can be kind of, you know, okay. <laughs> it's not terribly helpful, but all right. <laughs> yeah. um, but actually, it can be kind of insightful and sort of, again, get their mind away from, uh-oh, I'm telling James. I'm giving James feedback. Uh-oh, I don't know about that. Right. Um, or, or, right. or even it's not so much that they think you can't take it or something. It's, it's kind of more like, am I going to criticize the business? Who am I to do that? And mm-hmm. I'm doing it to James. I'm not even doing it with other people in the room to defend themselves or whatever. Like, it just feels weird to do that, um, e- even though you want that. <laughs> right. And so Magic Wand maybe changes the, men- the mental model to, oh, this is whimsical. You know, that's cool. Yeah. Or something else is like what. Um, and I think you said this when you said, uh, what are your, what are the barriers? But the flip side is, mm-hmm. um, um, what's missing that can make your job better? Or what do you wish you had that mm-hmm. you didn't have? One of the things I like to say is the, the, the actual physical barriers that are in your way, you can see them. And so it's easier to point at them. And that's good. I mean, you do want to ask that question, but it's really hard to point to the thing that isn't there. The missing thing is hard to notice. Um, or like in the, using a code review analogy, if you're looking at code and it's wrong, that's something you could code review can often find. But if code is missing, like, oh, we were supposed to call some hook here, but we didn't, it's hard, it's harder to find that in code review because it, you have to think of the thing that should have been there, which is harder than criticizing the thing that you see. So the absence of something can be harder to to uh, to, lo- to, 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 to to notice. So it can be nice to say, like, what's not here or what's missing or, you know, can be a good question. No, absolutely. I love that. Jean, do you have, before we wrap up, do you have anything uh, you want to add? Or, no, I'm really uh, just, I, I, I have like five pages I think it's completely clear notes, we're going to so, have to have Jason yeah, come back. That's, that's the only <laughs> thing I owe that. So. Thanks so much, Jason, awesome. for all this insight. I think we're going to have to re-listen to it a couple of times. <laughs> you bet. It was fun. I'm happy to come back sometime. Yeah, we'll definitely have you back. Thanks again, Jason. And uh, thank you so much. Appreciate yeah, it. Thanks. Thanks again to Jason for this amazing um, episode. Um, As usual, you can follow us on uh, our website at mastermind.fm. You can also follow Jason on Twitter. His uh, handle is uh, asmartbear. And he has also the blog that he mentioned several times in this uh, interview, which is blog.asmartbear.com. It's very, very insightful, I think. 
I've actually been following Jason even before he found the WP Engine. Now that I remember, this has been one of the most inspirational blogs in my early days as well as I started WP Mayor and around 2010 as well. And I was already reading Jason's blog back then. So definitely check that out. You can always find me at Jangalea on Twitter and James. You can find me on Twitter at James Laws. And uh, of course, you can check out my website, jameslaws.com. I actually wrote my year in review post. So there's actually a new piece of content. I got a mention as well. Um, so yeah that's it guys um, as, as usual we really appreciate any reviews and also we welcome any questions that you might have as we can deal with in the next episode so that's it for today thanks guys and we'll see you in the next episode of mastermind.fm see you next time <laughs>